Hello and welcome to The Two Dyspraxics. I'm Barbara Neal. And I'm Matthew Munson. So today we thought we'd talk about financial assistance for dyspraxics. So um, is there any? Is there any financial support and assistance for anyone who's dyspraxic? What do you think, Matthew? Well, if there is, it's not kind of universally known. Um, I think. Fun of I literally, as you were doing the introduction, I just I just googled dyspraxia financial help because I thought, well, let's just see what comes up because because genuinely, I have no idea. Um, right. And the first two things that, in fact, kind of the only two things that are really come up as such are disabled students allowance um learn about eligibility that's for seems to be like for university level university level sort of students um you can yeah uh, you have to have a long-term health condition um a specific learning difficulty such as dyslexia it says and you can get help with day-to-day costs of studying that are related to your disability specialist equipment or a non-medical helper um oh, oh interesting actually on the eligibility and this is i say this is for kind of i don't know 18 19 ones i guess who are going to university or any age i suppose mm-hmm. and it says you can apply for disabled students allowance if you have a disability that affects your ability to study such as and there's four points and the first one is learning difficulty such as dyslexia dyspraxia or adhd right that's interesting because you, 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 but in order to get that, you have to be an undergraduate or postgraduate student, qualify for student finance, like loans, I guess, etc., and be studying on a full time or part time course that lasts at least once a year. Once a year, um, yeah. So you basically have to apply for it from an online online uh, account. Um, so if you, oh yeah, so if you're applying for student finance to pay for your loans, you you have you apply, apply for it through your through those loans on the same on the same application form if you're not applying for student loans then you have to f- complete a paper application form which is on the on the government website right okay i didn't know that actually no, I didn't. i'd never heard that before knowing mm-hmm. and um i mean i have to say that we are not the fountain of all knowledge by any strength no. and um i mean this is very much the whole point of this podcast is so we can discuss it and maybe ask a few questions as well as hopefully providing some answers. So mm. a bit of a learning a learning curve for us, I think, don't you? Very much so. Yeah, yeah very, very much so. Um, and the other thing it mentions is the uh, disability living allowance or, or person dependent, like PIP. Yes, yeah, which um, reminds me, actually, of that time when um, to find out just uh, how that would work in practice when you applied for it, for personal independence payment. And um, I remember that assessment very well because I accompanied you on that, didn't I? You did, and it was. Uh, I mean, I can't, I can't remember this. What five or six years ago, something like that must have been. It was a while back, certainly. And the first thing that struck me was um, when we got there, and um, because I went along in the official capacity as your companion, yes, the um, official term. And I remember the person at the reception saying. Um, does he do this, you know, does he? So I said, well, can you, you can ask him directly. <laughs> so she said, no, as you're his companion, I have to direct the questions to you. And I was absolutely mortified. It was so so embarrassing. I mean, it, afterwards we were laughing about it, but yeah. that 
that's because we, I think we both have the ability to see the funny side of situations, but that was absolutely dreadful. And it was a horrible situation for me to have to speak on your behalf. Yeah, it, it really wasn't something I expected. I have to be honest, I hadn't expected that to happen. And I do remember vaguely hamming it up a bit and just um, deliberately asking you the same question word for word and then you asked, answering to me and then, oh, do I remember, I, I, I think it, it took me about a question to realise what you were doing. As soon as I realised, I thought, OK, I'm going to play along with this. Yes. I'm going to carry on. But that was and, the first shock, I suppose, when we when we went for that. Yeah, I think, I, and I remember as well, I mean, I'm... I don't know, I wasn't much mid-30s or something at the time. And I like to think I'm reasonably self-confident. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not massively so, but I'm reasonably self-confident. I can speak up for myself when I need to. But I can remember going into that, and because of especially the way this woman was treating me, just for that moment, just for about five minutes, I felt... I felt really uncomfortable. And I felt almost like... A couple times I almost caught myself looking to you, and you're, you're my friend... Yeah, even if you were a parent of mine, I still would expect her to speak up at the age of 35, but you're my friend. And yet because of the way this woman was, I found myself almost kind of like looking to you to go, what am I talking about again? Just, yeah. just, for, a, just for a moment until I caught myself to go, oh, well, hang on. Yeah, calm down, Matthew. Just just come on, sort yourself out. And <laughs> it was... Well, it definitely wrong foots people. And it does remind me actually of an occasion that, that was, it ended up quite funny and I can remember having quite a laugh about it, but it was when I was in hospital when son number one was born Hmm. and I became really good friends with one of the midwives and she came round and we had daily checks and things, you know, make sure everything was okay. And so the curtains were around my bed at the time and the man came along who was selling magazines and newspapers. So he said, would you like a newspaper? So she said, so she leaned over to me and said, would you like a newspaper? So I said, uh, no, thanks. And so she went, no, thanks. So I said, would you like a magazine? And so she leaned into me again and said, would you like a magazine? So I said, no, thanks. So she said, no, thanks. And then it was after he'd gone and I said, did I really need an interpreter? We were both speaking English. <laughs> What's going on here? <laughs> and we were laughing about it. But it just goes to show how easily that can happen, that if you're put into that kind of situation, and she wasn't doing it deliberately, obviously, no, it was just that no. she, was, she was in control of the situation and therefore, you know, I was the passive, you know, I was being really passive about it in the same way that you did when we went for that assessment. Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah, both of us sort of fell into that role. Yeah. On occasions, you know, we, we kind of deferred to... The expectation that somebody else is putting onto us, and, and, and we let them. Yes, exactly. Let them do it. So so easily done because neither of us are particularly, um, you know. No, but <laughs> I was going to say something that would sound terrible. We're both reasonably intelligent human beings, is a better yeah. way, and um, and so it can happen very easily to any any one of us. I think who can just be put into that sort of passive situation, and that's exactly what happened with you and and um i don't know if there was any kind of um official directive that told the receptionist that she had to address you via me you know i don't know if that was the case or not but Mm. if it was then um that 
would almost guarantee that you're then going to become a sort of passive, receptive person rather than who you really are. And I think that's when you're in a situation where you're already feeling nervous and anxious about that situation, about you're going to be assessed, even the word itself, we're going to assess you to see whether or not you're eligible, whether you're I, I, disabled enough. I, I don't mean yeah. testing, but yeah, under their wording, whether you're disabled enough to warrant getting some 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 money, some income from the government to help you with issues and things that you need and you're on the back foot because you think oh, I'm being assessed you know will, will they believe me will, will they think I'm telling the truth will they think I'm being honest or or, or not and yeah I, yeah so if, if you're then treated that as well you, you almost you're more likely just to go along with it and okay yeah okay fine yeah whatever you say yeah and and I thought the assessment itself left an awful lot to be desired because it was carried out by someone who clearly didn't understand dyspraxia. I mean, and that that was a big problem, you, you know. I, and I can remember when we sat in that room, we, we were asking that we were asking this person there, you know, so 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 what what are your qualifications? What do you know about dyspraxia? And you could see that they that they felt almost wrong footed. Yeah, that actually, we were asking those questions. You know, we weren't asking in an antagonising way or in a rude way. We were just asking because we were curious. Yeah, exactly. Well, the whole point, really, of the exercise was to find out, you know, because um, I didn't know how easy or difficult it would be to get um, that particular bit of um, financial assistance. And as it turned out, the um, assessment wasn't relevant to dyspraxia, I didn't feel. You no. know, they were, no. yeah, can you do this? Well, yeah, I can do that, you know, but it's not, it's not yeah. really relevant. And um, so the upshot was that I know you didn't manage to get awarded that um, yeah. payment. But but also as well, those questions that, that they were asking, you know, that I, I didn't feel that there's anything there that they were asking, unless my memory is faulty and I, can't, I forgot something, but... There wasn't anything I don't remember. That they couldn't have just asked me over the phone. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? So it's like you, I, I travelled on the train to get there. You'd driven down to Maidstone to get there. Yeah. The two of us, you know, we'd had to travel all the way to Ashford to, to get there. Yeah. And as it was, it was a good chance. We, we caught up. We had a bit of an after afterwards and, and it was all lovely. But really, it was the same things. It was an eye-opener because I didn't feel that the assessment um, was carried out by anyone who understood dyspraxia. And I think that should be a given. If you're talking about awarding someone um, some finance to help them with their daily lives, then it should be carried out by someone who understands the condition that they're assessing for. <laughs> yeah. And, exactly. um, and it really didn't. So, and something that, you know, to sort of change not the whole subject, but to change the subject very slightly is something I managed to get my hands on um, was access to work. I don't know how that worked. It was a very long time ago. that it, This was, um, oh, dear me, more than 10 years ago now. So I don't know how that stands. But, but I did manage to get access to work when I wanted to start up my hypnotherapy practice. And that was very, very useful because it was awarded to me in the um, form of having an assistant, having somebody who could just help help with um, the admin for um, for my hypnotherapy practice, because yeah, it's just being organised is not it's not the easiest thing in the world if you have dyspraxia. 
Agreed. And, um, and we didn't have, you know, it's only going back sort of just over a decade, but we didn't have the kind of technology that we have now, which does make things much easier, I have to say. So we didn't have quite that level of technology at no. that point. No. So that was incredibly useful. I did have somebody who was a great help. and um, But you have to be earning a certain amount. It's not just a given, okay, you work for yourself or, or you're in a job. Um, again, an assessment has to be carried out. And mm. I had a very nice man come and visit me because I was based at home. So he came to visit me at home, which was very helpful, and um, to carry out the assessment. And he started out, actually, bless him, by saying, I don't know very much about dyspraxia. Can you describe it to me? And um, Interesting. Yeah, so that was good. That was a good start. So I was able to tell him um, what sort of things I'd struggle with. And we had a really good conversation, and I was awarded the access to work. And so that really helped considerably. So that was useful. And so if it is something that people can still access then I would um, heartily recommend applying for it. Um, that's obviously for people who are in work, whether it's self-employed work or if you're in, employed. And um, from my point of view, as a self-employed person, I had to earn a particular level before I would be considered for access to work. So in other words, you can't just say, oh, I'm self-employed and be doing a little bit of work, you know, a couple of hours each week. <laughs> you, know, you, you can't do that. So so you have to be earning a certain level. But um, but that was very good, very helpful. So um, so far we've discovered that there are um, there's finance available for students who are going on to university. There's finance available, hopefully still available for access to work. Um, personal independence payment, our experience says that yeah, theoretically it's there, but um, not necessarily that easy to get your hands on. Though something, I think, as a result of Facebook groups, um, it seemed to me more common for parents of dyspraxic children to be able to get financial assistance mm. than, than for dyspraxic adults to get it for themselves, <laughs> which um, I'm... I have very mixed feelings about that personally because I'm wondering what kind of financial help do children need? I, I think schools have the onus put on them to provide laptops where they're needed. I believe that's the case. And please, you know, I hope I'd be corrected if I'm wrong on that, but I believe that the education system carries a certain amount of the responsibility to ensure that a dyspraxic student will have and by student, I mean any age. Yeah. I'm talking about not necessarily 18 plus, but um, but in primary, secondary education. And um, so I believe that the onus is then on the education system or the school to ensure that the, the student has whatever they need to be able to keep up, um, whether it's a laptop, extra time in exams or whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, also, so, I know for some children, they get the, um, um, I can't, oh God, I can't remember what it's called now, but, but it, it so, so that, like, for example, if a child's been in care, or mm-hmm. is currently in care, or has been in care, the, obviously, obviously the school gets, get X amount of money per student that goes to the school. If, if a child goes to the school and has, 
has been in the care system even for a day, they they get an additional amount of money. I don't know how much it is to to help with any additional needs that that child might have. Yeah. Now, because that's slightly different, I accept, because that's children have been in care, and obviously children who who are with their birth families, who are with their their first family still, and will always be that way who might have a disability don't automatically get that money with them in the same way that, say, for example, my son does, because obviously he was in care for two years. Sure. And to me. Um, and, and for the rest of his school days, the rest of his education days, wherever he travels, he will get, he will bring with him an additional amount of money on top of the money that he would automatically get. Right. Um, now, he hasn't got any particular physical disabilities or anything like that. In that sense, he's a, I'd like to use the word normal, Barbara. Normal, um, yeah, normal <laughs> that word again. Uh, up again. Um, but you know, he, he's, he's a child like most others, if I phrase <laughs> it like that. There's nothing particularly unusual about him. So he might not necessarily need that money at the moment. It's there for if and when he does need it. But, you know, he isn't disabled. He doesn't have any any particular conditions or disorders or whatever the word is that, that people use. So, you know, obviously I'm confident in, in sort of speaking up and using it if we need to. But, of course, uh, they are sort of a child who hasn't been in the care system but has a disability might not bring with them automatically that amount of money, additional money to school or, or wherever. Now, you're absolutely right. Of course, a, a, a school has a certain duty and responsibility to provide adaptations to that, for that child out of the income that they get. Right, so something I can't help wondering about is um, the parents of dyspraxic children who have applied for financial help, mm. what do they need it for? <laughs> yeah. Because I cannot get my head round what that would be used for outside of an education setting yeah yeah that's yeah that's a fair point because I mean I I don't I can't really speak for myself because it was such a long time ago when I was a child but but I am also the parent of a dyspraxic son Mm. and um, of course he needed some support which he didn't get throughout um, primary school but that's another story he did get support in secondary education but outside of school I can't think of a single thing that I actually needed money for because of his dyspraxia Mm. and yeah I'm not I'm not saying there was nothing that he could have benefited from because if if anyone does know what that money can be spent on, I'd be very, very genuinely interested to hear it. You know, yeah. I'd like to know, how did you spend it? What um, help were you able to get for your dyspraxic child because of their dyspraxia? Mm. And, um, and also, I can't help wondering, if we were to get our hands on this um, personal independence payment, well, I can't now anyway because I'm retired, but, yeah. um, but if any dyspraxic adult can... Um, get some financial help what do they use it for i mean what yeah. would we use it for have you got any suggestions actually <laughs> i can remember at the time when i was when we were I was looking at pip for me always kind of thinking well what would i need it for what what if, if i was awarded a rate of 
PIP, what what would I put it towards in my life that affects my dis- my dyspraxia? And, and I, I was I was very conscious of that because obviously this is money that comes from government. This is taxpayers' money that would be coming to me if I'd been successful in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, I for me, I, I guess I was kind of thinking about it in the sense of stuff to help me in in aspects of my life that make me anxious and that I struggle with because of my dyspraxia. Travel, for example, would be, would be an obvious one because I don't drive. And I, I really struggle with that. My anxiety comes up. So for me, those that would be a big thing. Um, I'm, I'm just talking about myself here. Obviously, everyone's dyspraxia kind of can translate into different different ways, I guess, and it can show up in different, different aspects. But for me, I think tra- travel and transport will be a big thing for me. And it certainly make life a lot easier. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I must think that um, during the course of the discussion, I've just thought of two things that it oh. would definitely help with. And one of them is for anyone who is so inclined to driving lessons, because a dyspraxic person will traditionally need more driving lessons than someone who's not dyspraxic. Mm. So we have a disadvantage, a financial disadvantage in that respect. Yeah. That's one thing. Um Another thing, or also, you know, maybe buying an automatic car. I mean, that's not absolutely essential because I've I have driven automatics, but um, but I've traditionally driven manual gear change cars. But that's because I've been doing it for so many years now. I think, but um, so perhaps buying an automatic car, um, if that's appropriate. And um, another thing which I've thought of actually is um, going to the dentist is not cheap nowadays it's not even possible in some respects it seems but um Mm. it's quite difficult for me personally to brush my teeth and to make a really good job of it because I'm fine with the theory theory is absolutely brilliant don't have a problem with that but the practicality the fine motor skills involved in um getting in there I think um more regular trips to the dentist for a deep clean would be very helpful Mm. that's something that um, that the uh, money could be spent on. So, yeah, I think it's important to just remember that it's something that is due to dyspraxia, that how we can justify applying for that sort of money in the first place. You know, yeah. otherwise we're on a hiding to no way and, and quite right that we've that we refused it. But yeah. if we have genuine reasons that are not work-related, are not education-related, then then that financial help should be available to us. Mm, yes, I, I yeah, I, I agree. And I think that's that's the difference, isn't it? I think it, you know, it's not that someone like someone who's like us who's dyspraxic be doing it for financial gain. Of course they wouldn't be. They're doing it because X part of their life is a problem, is an issue, and needs to be supported. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's above and beyond and it would cost more than an average person's experience of life exactly i think also the fact that dyspraxia still to my knowledge isn't diagnosed as an nhs because you know all that we've got the worst of both worlds in that respect because it's regarded as um in terms of the medical model of disability Mm. but we don't have the advantage of of having free assessments on the nhs as far as I'm aware, um, it's not my experience anyway. So um, if we were to employ um, an occupational therapist, for example, 
for something that we want to learn how to do and you know, to make things easier, then mm. we would have to pay for that. Yeah. And so that's where personal independence payments would be very useful. It's something practical that we could use it for. Yes, yeah. And I think that's the, the thing, isn't it? Because, you know, quite rightly, assessments should be thorough and careful and... Relevant. responsible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They should be. But oftentimes they're not. You know, when you walk into the waiting area and you as a person with a condition is is treated as a, as a child compared to the person that you're with, when you walk into the room and the person who is assessing you doesn't know about your condition, when you're when you're turned down for any kind of payment and the report itself isn't entirely accurate, it doesn't really reflect you as a person, then then you think, well, I respect the fact that these things have got to be done carefully and rightly and responsibly. But I don't respect that these things are done without expertise and without thought and care and kindness to the people who do it. Would you say then that it would be a good idea for anyone who is planning to apply for personal independence payments, if they write down, well, write down, type out, (laughs) (laughs) writing's not easy, but to make note of what you would actually use the money for in your life, you know, and, and its relevance to your dyspraxia, then um, before you go, and then you're having your say as well. So I don't know if that would carry any weight or not, but um, I can't help thinking it would be quite a good idea to just go prepared. Mm. Yeah, I I think sometimes it would be. But it's one of the things, isn't it? I, I can remember feeling anxious before it and almost, you know, I, I don't, I don't, on looking back afterwards, I think I could have probably said more to have made the situation more logical and more effective. But at the time, I was quite anxious. I was quite nervous. Even though I'd got I'd got a friend there, I'd got you there. I still felt anxious, anxious and and nervous. And there was there was it didn't feel like to me, and I think it was made clear to me that if when you walk out and you think oh, I should have said this, I should have said that, I should have said the other thing that I've forgotten to add to my case, yeah. there was no way. It didn't seem to be any way for me to get in touch with that assessor and say, I forgot to add this. Could you add this on there, please? You know, it wasn't a phone number where I could get straight through to the assessor or the email address that could put me straight through to them. Yeah. You know, not not for a 20-minute, half-hour chat again, but just to say, by the way, you know, you're still working on assessing my claim. Um, I've just got to add this in. I seem to give you a bit more information that I forgot to say at the day. Yeah, yeah I, th- I think... Um because of the fact that, that you felt that you were, um, well, you were put in a position of um, not exactly subservience, but you were talked down to, there's no doubt about that. Mm. And or rather you weren't talked to at all because it was all, the communication was via me, which was appalling, but we, yeah. we've covered that. But I think because of that, it's a very, very good idea to go as prepared as you possibly can. So just think, if I were to have this money, what would I spend it on? And um, make sure that you've got that written down, mm. typed out, and take it with you. Because it's definitely not a two-way process. It feels very much as though, right, they are assessing me and, um, you know, and I don't really feel I've got um, the opportunity to speak my mind about it. And, mm. and also because dyspraxia is naturally a slippery customer anyway, so it's quite hard to define it and to explain to somebody else how you're affected by it. So I think the way to approach it is just, right, if I had that money, this is what I'd spend it on, Mm. and go armed with that. And I think um, that should, 
in a fair and just world, it should carry enough weight and swing it your way. Do you think? I yeah. Yes, I absolutely agree with that. Yes. So so that's how we would tackle it. That's all I know about any financial help that's available for dyspraxics. I'd be very very interested to hear if anyone else has any experience. First of all, of applying for PIP or DLA back in the day, and um, and also anything else that we don't know about that's available, anything financial that is that's available for people who have dyspraxia. I think yeah. we're incredibly interested to know about that, wouldn't we? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very much so. Yeah. I'd like to get some really some really interesting feedback on this. Definitely. Yeah. So feedback, please. We're Gagging for your feedback. Yes. And on that happy gaggy note, <laughs> until the next time, <laughs> goodbye for me. <laughs> Every time I say something stupid, you don't have to laugh. My dear. I can't help it. I can't. Stop making me laugh. Stop making me laugh. Okay, I'll, I'll take it all back then. On that unhappy gaggy note, no, there's nothing happy about gagging. No, there no it's not. It's not funny, it's not happy at all. No, it's not. It's deadly serious. So on that very deadly serious note, until next time, it's goodbye from me. (laughs) It's goodbye from me. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Bye.